This is Therapy For Us By Us, a podcast showcasing conversations centering black and brown voices in therapy and mental wellness from the lens of mental health practitioners. Truly a space created for us by us in an effort to build community and see ourselves reflected in wellness. I'm your host, Claudia Parada, a marriage and family therapist trainee, and I'm excited to connect with all you beautiful folks and your stories. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hola, hola. Welcome to Therapy for Us by Us podcast. I am Claudia, your host, marriage and family therapist trainee, and I have the honor of welcoming on today Jess, who is a queer author, activist, and psychotherapist trainee. Um, She finds inspiration in her journey to heal from complex trauma. Um, Jess says that it's taken her 30 years to realize that growing up in a civil war, the violence in her family, and then the mere fact of growing up in a woman's body has carried a lot of trauma and pain and realized that she was numbing and running away from it. Um, I'm sure there's so much more that we can get into there, but I'm just going to go ahead and just welcome you on. What's up, Jess? Hi, Claudia. Thank you (laughs) for having me. I feel very honored that I get to make it on your podcast. (laughs) I'm very excited to have you on. And it's been for for folks who don't know, which is probably most of most of y'all, Jess and I actually had, uh, well, I had the pleasure of going to to graduate school with Jess. And so I'm really excited to be able to connect in this way with you. Yeah, we were in the same first class together. (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) It's been quite a journey since then, for sure, to say that. Yeah, for both of us, yeah. Absolutely. Um, So Jess, can you, um, I know that I read a little bit, like a snippet of of your bio, but would you share with us a little bit about like, anything that feels present for you about who you are and like what informs your work as a, a therapist? Yeah. Um, I, um, it's hard. I'm, I think I'm an artist at heart. Like I love to, mm-hmm. and also an activist, um, and, and therapy and being a therapist is, um, a way to channel both, like to create change, to help people create change in themselves and in their communities. Um, but always with the lens of social justice. And I think when you're born and raised in like a war zone, it's impossible for you to not think about things collectively. Mm -hmm. Like the mentality is not the first layer you see the world in. And I think that shaped me to always look at whatever I make uh, or when I work with my clients, I cannot not see what's around us and what's around them. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I I realized kind of like after I asked you the question that I was like, oh, well, I mean, there's so many other facets to your identity than just being a therapist, right? (laughs) So I appreciate you sharing on all of the ways. Mm -hmm. My latest project. But I don't, like, I feel like being a therapist for me is just teaching me all the time how to be more human. Um, so I also do it because I grow and learn from from it. Yeah. 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 I resonate with that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I can say so many things about that, but I was just thinking about that. The word wholeness just came up in my mind, but yeah, I'm, I'm really appreciating the journey. So I'm thankful that you, you shared that piece. Um, you recently shared a piece of writing with me around sexual abuse in the psychedelic healing world. And that's what I, I mean, I want to ask you so many different things, but I was wondering if like, you could share with us a little bit about like what, what you wrote about and like what inspired it. Yeah. So I have been training in psychedelics recently, both like MDMA assisted therapy and ketamine assisted therapy. Um, MDMA is on its way to legalization. Ketamine is already legal. Um, there's plenty of academic research and studies that have been done that showed that both of these um, uh, medicine help people, especially with uh, treatment resistant depression or PTSD or OCD. Uh, the types of um, kind of challenges that sometimes people have in their lives that they feel like nothing is helping. Uh, or if, if something is helping, like talk therapy, it's very slow and it's not allowing them to live in some kind of um, inner peace. And it feels like there's constant inner battle. Um, so, and, you know, myself, I have been drinking the Kool-Aid, I guess. <laughs> I've been working with medicine myself too, both in the context of uh, more indigenous and also more like with an actual like MFT psychotherapist. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is that there were some things that I felt off in some of these communities. Um, and I had a bad experience myself. Um, but also I started hearing more and more about, especially women or um, non-binary folks, um, being the, like being perhaps in situations where there is some kind of abuse, especially like sexual abuse. Um, so I began doing more and more research, um, especially as like one of my, uh, you know, friends had had a really traumatic experience with a shaman. Mm. So I was like, okay, so what do you do when you have this information or when you have this experience, where do you go? Can you go to the police? Um, a lot of these communities are underground. So you actually don't go to the police because three reasons. One is that you're gonna be also involved in saying that you've been doing quote unquote drugs. And a lot of these are schedule one drugs. Um, mm especially like even say ayahuasca or um, mushrooms are still in so many places in the U.S. equivalent to heroin in the classification of drugs. So you're in order to protect yourself, you're not going to go to police. The second thing is in order to protect the community, because a lot of these communities have also helped folks and um and there is like the greater advancement of mental health through psychedelics. So if you go and that makes it to the news, then you are told, especially as a woman, that, oh, you're going to set back the whole community backward and all that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So there is that happens. And the third thing is the self-doubt that comes up for every survivor of sexual abuse or abuse in general, where you're like, wait, did I want this? Did I not want this? And this is where consent comes in because when you're intoxicated, you can't really give consent. Mm -hmm. So I that for these three reasons, um, not having anywhere to go, um, 
And if you go to the police, you, you might get in trouble too. Second, being guilted by the community. And third, um, kind of the gaslighting that has happened that makes you doubt yourself have made it impossible for a lot of these women to find uh, healing or um, a restorative justice, if we put it this way. Mm -hmm. uh, now, interestingly, it's, it's something that's not talked about often that in the healing world, there is abuse. Like it's assumed that because someone is a healer, therefore they are not going to be abusive. Ooh. But you you cannot take the human out of the human, right? Absolutely, <laughs> right. So um, so I think that especially in the healing world, um, there could be. Uh, and now, if we want to talk more from a psychotherapist perspective, there could be a disowning of. Um, someone's um, shadow self, right? Shadow self, meaning the parts of themselves that um, they cut off that are maybe the liar part or the angry part or the enraged part. Uh, so that these parts end up coming up in ways that are even more destructive than when they are integrated. When you're like, yeah, I have a part of me that wants to have sex with my client or the person that's sitting in my medicine circle mm -hmm. i recognize it i name it that's a part of me and i also have a boundary to put to that part right a responsibility. I, mm -hmm. I, I completely pretend i am like godlike and i don't have these parts then i'm gonna probably reenact or act them out and cause harm yeah i was thinking about yeah there's this I think there's a tension that I hold in myself as like, obviously the psychotherapeutic world is very heavily regulated and that's Western culture for many different reasons. Um, and we, we could, but I won't go into all the different layers as to like why these regulations are in place, but yes, for safety of the client and the therapist. And then you think about like, there's, a, there's of course, um, ethics in like traditional healing modalities. Absolutely. And there's not that, um, there's like not a system of regulation and accountability that's held there in the, in the same way. Um, so that's like one thing that, that comes up for me that I'm really holding as like a pretty stark contrast. So then I think the question that comes up for me, and this is obviously, of course, like not for you to answer yourself, but like, how can we like have accountability in, in these places, in these circles? Yeah, I think I'm glad you're bringing that up because the solution is still not to go to the police, in my opinion. Well, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. There has to be a different way to get justice. But um, so in this moment, we don't have a, like a more of an official system. And I know that some communities are implementing or, or remembering the way we used to do justice in our more indigenous communities. Like I come from, you know, Lebanon in the East Mediterranean. My ancestors are the indigenous to the land. Um, I wanna know how did they resolve problems? How did they deal with abuse? Um, yeah. But into account that there was no rights for women in the way that I experience not them now. Like my grandmother didn't have a choice, right? I have choices. So I also take that into account that I don't want to idealize the yes. past. 
that another thing to consider is westernization of some of these medicines. So in some of the cases, like it would be, you know, white people going to Peru, not knowing mm -hmm. where they're going, um, paying money, and then, you know, the woman potentially being abused sexually by the shaman. I and there was literally just think I was just thinking that. So I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> Yeah, so there was also a disconnect, if you look at it from a bigger perspective, it was like, why even this white woman is going to Peru to pay someone a thousand dollars and use their traditions without, like, even knowing what she's doing, and um, so it's it's complex to also see, because if it's, if we're all from the same community, maybe that on its own will regulate some people's behaviors, because mm -hmm. there is, but there was this person that you know i don't know it's just something i've been thinking about too yeah i think in i think um in the paper you you discussed the romanticization of healing work i mean in particular by white folks and it really there is this idealization i mean i i would i own it too like i think even for me like when i um entered into like more traditional healing modalities i was like oh you know wow what a what a world like something that I really would like to learn more about. Um, but also that leaves, that leaves, that leaves folks in a pretty vulnerable position, especially like when we're, um, like if it is a white person who's traveling to an indigenous community to do something like ayahuasca, like there is a certain um, risk, of course, in that, um, especially if like you're not, you, you're, you have no connection to the person which you just named, um, like you don't know who they are, you don't really have any context or you might have some context, but you're not from that community, right? So like then therein lies like another um, potential issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, that, that's so true. And then also you're more vulnerable to being told, oh, like in one of the stories of the women that shared, like the, 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 the shaman was like, I let me shower you and then um, that will help you heal your you know, sex, sexual trauma. And that of course, like evolved into something more. And, um, hmm. and, and so the, the, the person at the time was like, oh, that's what they do in the Amazon. Like if you have sexual trauma, the shaman is gonna like get naked with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of like that, not, not knowing, or like the just assumption of like, well, this, medicine person is obviously knows what they're doing and the kind of like what comes what comes up as what you said like I have this self-doubt is like oh well they just must know but then of course like we really like there yeah there there's lines that are crossed that are then becomes abuse and assault yes and then it then consent becomes unclear because there the for example that person who shared her story said that she technically was consenting. Mm -hmm. When I think about the case of Harvey Weinstein, like a lot of these women, which are hundreds of them, were technically consenting because they didn't like, you know, leave or say no more powerfully or something. So I think that there is like the power dynamics of gender that play also into it. Um, that repeat in every community, I think, and in every kind of work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, but especially in the healing, I think what worries me a lot and what I why I'm bringing it 
I told you I want to talk about it mm-hmm. um, is because there is an idealization, which you're referring to, of that because it's a hidden community or because it's a shaman, then we're going to put these people on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And that harms us. Like, even if there is no abuse, putting anyone on a pedestal is harmful for us. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And that was also really um, resonating with what you said about the shadow work and like how I think we all have it. <laughs> like we all have shadows, right? And then yeah. like how we hold that um, in like when we're holding space for somebody else. I'm not, I'm not going to claim the title of a healer, but like when I'm holding space for somebody else, like I'm constantly engaging my own shadow. So I'm not irresponsibly um, engaging a person in their work, but like wondering the dynamic between like, if one person, if the person receiving healing is putting the other person on a pedestal and the other person is not doing their work, then that sounds disastrous. Yes. That's the recipe for disaster. Yeah. (laughs) No, because it's absolutely worrisome. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate in our training as therapists, although it's a very long and unfair training in some way, is that we really train not only in ethics, but what we call counter-transference is like, what is my shit? Yeah, for sure. Let me train that muscle forever because they will always be my shit. So there is a humility in, I feel like the way the training is structured that I won't know everything. I sometimes will project, um, you know, and, and then I remember there's this paper by Winnicott, who's a who's a psychoanalyst who was a pediatrician. He's one of the like Freud followers, but yeah. he has this paper called Hate and the Counter Transference. And it's about how like like he said the the many reasons why parents sometimes hate their kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that it's a very normal feeling to hate your kids. And so right. It's a very normal that sometimes you're going to hate your client and then just recognize that. And I think this training is very, very helpful in um, having like right relationship with the people that were like, you, I love how you said it. Like we're holding space for it to heal. We aren't healing anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I deeply resonate with what it is that you're saying. And while I'm not a psychodynamic therapist, there are such um, rich inquiries in uh, psychodynamics and psychoanal- psychoanalysis and then I'm like, wow, I'm, you know, really, like I have a, a huge opportunity here to get into like some unconscious material and I'm like, oh, and therein lies like the shadow work, right? Yeah. Uh, because if I'm, you know, disavowing parts of myself, then damn believe that that's coming up in the therapy room <laughs> or that's coming up between uh, me and whoever it is that I'm holding space for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now what happens if you are actually, you know, in a situation where you experience sexual abuse or any kind of abuse in a therapeutic relationship, what do you do? Yeah. I think whoever is listening to this is like, it's never ever okay for right. there to be a sexual advance or an entertainment of that sexual desire that you might have towards the person helping you heal like that is the first red flag if the therapist or the shaman flirts with you you feel like a, a vi- sexual vibe trust your gut 
yeah, it feels absolutely. wrong, it is wrong. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, um, that's what I've wanted to say, or like what came up for me as I'm hearing you say, like, it's never okay. Like, if there's even like a glimmer of a vibe, like something's making me uncomfortable, like that's, should always be like 100, 1000% okay to name. Like, and, yes. and as therapist or as anybody who's holding space for you, like, and I pretty much hold a really hard line and a hard boundary around this for this reason, like should always welcome that if something's mm-hmm. making you uncomfortable, okay, let's stop. And like, mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Like, and take this, the other person on the other side, which is like the healer or the person holding space uh, or the mm-hmm. shaman should always, I, in my opinion, should always be ready to be like, oh, take accountability. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I hear that this made you uncomfortable. Let's stop. Yes. Yes. And also, I, I love that. And I also want to say that there is always many other therapists out there and, and shamans. Like, so if that person doesn't feel right, don't just go because my friend loved that person and that person helped them uh, uncover all their traumas and heal them. Like, sure, your friend did. You have to vet for yourself too. Absolutely. Yeah. I think also Shakruna, which is, um, you know, a publication started by queer women and they're an organization actually now published uh, also guidelines uh, for people, but especially women who are going to do, uh, in this case, like ayahuasca and are traveling for that, um, how to make sure that they're safe and take care of themselves and watch out for red flags. Um, that's another way of going, like another resource that I found. Um, and yeah, I think that um, there, there is no like, you know, perfect solution right now, but um, I, but I can't help but just repeat that it's not okay. Yeah. Uh, that there, that, you know, there was this um, guy who founded this famous Bay Area based uh, Institute for Coaching and then he got ousted, um, well, and the whole thing shut down because he was giving some of the women that were coming to take his, you know, training to become coaches, drugs, and having sex with them. It is not okay to, for you, like, for you to sleep with, basically, not for, like, that something is wrong with it. It's not, you know, we're not, I'm not, like, someone who is thinking right and wrong, but it's all for your own spiritual physical mental safety yeah absolutely i'm thinking about too like i mean i know that we're not talking specifically about well in the the case that you're you're referring to it sounds like the person gave coaches that were in training drugs but we're we're now we're talking about like people who are in positions of power men who are in positions of power like whether Mm -hmm. that be nuanced or just outright direct, ex- made explicit, like I am your superior, um, and proposing sex, making sexual advances, um, and beyond, like be becoming abusive or becoming, um, yeah, or, or like engaging in those practices, which is like, I think absolutely, I mean, of course, like we're saying this is absolutely not not okay. And then those lines, I think, get grayed in those, in those arenas that are much more unregulated 
or much less regulated is what I'm trying to say. I love it. It's the intersectionality of no regulation, um, male power dynamic, and being intoxicated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting ready to finish up. I'm sure there's so many other things that we could like uncover here just within this conversation, but I'm wondering if there's, I'm wondering if there's anything that you'd like to leave folks with before we close out. Yeah, I wanna leave folks with that. Um, I hope this conversation doesn't discourage folks from pursuing their healing or even if they feel called to work with plant medicine or psychedelics, Um, but just take their time that healing can happen and the beginning can be slow. Um, And taking the time means like seeing different people they wanna work with, different therapists, different medicine people, talking to, um, you know, their people in their community about what they're looking to do. Um, Basically like trying to engage if that's possible, also their logical brain because, and, that and also engaging with their intuition because you know i feel like you will know um Mm -hmm. if you listen to yourself who would be the right person and you can always say no you can always change therapists Um, you're not bound to be with your therapist forever you're not bound to be with your healer forever you're not bound to anything forever and sometimes you know, the healing journey means part of healing is saying no to your therapist and leaving your therapist yeah. um, or saying, no, I'm not going to work with this plant um, because I am not from this, you know, indigenous community. And maybe for me, I need to find other ways of healing. Mm. Um, so there is a humility also in that healing process. It's not only the content, but it's the journey of it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I missed the last thing you said. I said that it's the journey of it that's the teacher. Like, yeah. Sometimes leaving therapy is the journey, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I so appreciate you naming that. Um, and it is absolutely something that's come up over and over again in my own personal healing journey. So I, I appreciate mm-hmm. sharing your words with, with folks listening. Um, yeah, so we're going to close, but I want to just thank you so much, Jess, for coming on and sharing and having this conversation with us. It's one that we don't really talk about. So I'm really I'm really glad that we had the, the space and that you were willing to come on and write about it and share about it and share with us about it. Um, and thank you so much for your time and your energy. I, I appreciate you. I got so much love for you. No, I'm so grateful for you making that platform and space for me and other folks in our, you know, uh, community to talk about things that we're passionate about or, you know, to have a voice. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm really, I'm really honored to be able to share in this space with you and others. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. for folks who want to connect with Jess, uh, her information will be in the show notes. And thank you so much for for listening with us today. Um, Appreciate y'all. Take care of yourselves always. And then we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Therapy For Us By Us podcast. 
If you love what we're doing, leave us a review on iTunes or keep the conversation going by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. Look forward to connecting with you next time. And until then, take care.